Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And Carol Zerniel, we've got a great opportunity to learn everything we need to know about COVID-19 and vaccines today. Yes, we've got Dr. Michael Amali with us. Everything I know about COVID, I learned from Dr. Amali. And wow. He- I, it's true. And, and you've been that reassuring voice on this journey we've been on for the last two years. Well, he sure has. And let me give him a formal introduction. Uh, Dr. Molly earned his medical degree from the Boston University School of Medicine in, of all places, Boston, Massachusetts, completed his internal medicine internship and residency at the University of Washington in Seattle, completed his cardiology fellowship at Wilfrid Hall and Burke Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, Dr. Molly is a 14-year veteran of the United States Air Force, reached the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. He served seven years on active duty and seven years with the Reserves. He's the Chief of Cardiology and Specialty Care for the WellMed Greater Texas Region, board certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular disease, and nuclear cardiology. In addition, he's one of WellMed's leaders in the WellMed COVID-19 Task Force. And uh, you have been, as Carol said, really a shining light amid all the confusion involving COVID-19 and vaccines. So, Dr. Molly, give us the 411. Where are we now? So, um, in the pandemic, currently, I'm, I'm sure you guys are all aware, we're at the, the height, the peak of the largest uh, wave or largest surge that we've seen um, really in 21 months of this, of this pandemic. Um, our, our numbers uh, across the country, we're seeing... Um, you know, somewhere around six, seven hundred thousand newly diagnosed cases of COVID nineteen um, uh, per day, um, which is you know double or triple what we saw at the peak of the largest wave up until this point in the pandemic. And uh, this is obviously very concerning. Um, fortunately, we're at a place where a majority of our population has been vaccinated, especially the majority of the most vulnerable segment of our population, which is. Um, our elderly patients, um, those with comorbidities that are at the highest risk for hospitalization, severe outcomes, or dying from COVID-19. So we're at a different place in the pandemic due to our ability to um, mitigate infections, but we're also at a different place in the pandemic due to how um, incredibly infectious this current Omicron variant is and how it's just swept uh, through the country. Um, you know, the other thing that you got to keep in mind is that at this point, we are diagnosing so many cases of COVID-19 that, you know, a lot of people are diagnosing this in their in their own home. You know, home testing is so commonly performed nowadays, and it's really difficult to go from making the diagnosis at home to getting that reported. And so I think a lot of our numbers are underrepresenting uh, the true um, um, situation of, of how many infections are actually going on out there. And a lot of us are seeing that in our personal lives, right? I mean, a lot of us now, more than any point in the pandemic, you know, have friends and neighbors and family members that have had COVID recently, um, despite the fact that they were, you know, vaccinated, um, you know, just, you know, within the past year. Well, what do you, I've heard you say we want a positivity rate below 5%. What do you right. think the real positivity rate in the country is right now? 
yeah, I believe that the positivity rate right now is in the you know high 20s, maybe even in the 30s, 30 percentile. So basically that means that every time we, we test someone for COVID-19, you know, we would like it to be rare that we make that diagnosis. What that basically means is that we are testing a lot of people, but there's not a lot of disease out there. What we're, the situation we're in right now is that we are not able to test everyone that needs a test. So we really kind of have to focus those tests on the most likely individuals to have COVID. Um, and so that's why we're seeing this percent positivity rate of 25, 30, 35%. That's just a sign that there's a ton of COVID out there. Um, when that number gets down, go ahead. No, I heard a news report this morning about uh, people who may go into the hospital for something unrelated to COVID who get tested and they turn up positive for COVID. Yeah. So that's becoming much more common now. And, you know, that was a, a concern of a, a lot of individuals earlier on in the pandemic. And it wasn't as relevant. In, in other words, early on in the pandemic, I, I heard a lot of somewhat skeptics about the, the, the pandemic saying that people were being admitted to the hospital with COVID instead of because of COVID, right? They were admitted, but, and that wasn't the case earlier on. Um, the people that were being admitted to the hospital early on were really sick uh, and our ICUs and our ventilators were, were really being overwhelmed. Now that's kind of changed a little bit. And, and I can't tell you completely that that is due to the fact that Omicron maybe causes a little bit less severe disease because we have this large segment of our population that has been vaccinated and, and also boosted um, and especially our most vulnerable patients. And so the question comes, are they not as sick because they have some degree of immunity from either natural immunity or vaccination plus boostering? Or is it that the virus is not as, as you know, the infection that the virus causes is not as severe? And, and it's really hard to tease that out. But I do agree with you that we're seeing more patients that are in the hospital that have COVID that are not as sick as they were at earlier points in the pandemic. And to give you an example, I had a procedure that I did today and the patient showed up for the procedure. We test all patients at the time of their procedure. And this person had no symptoms and I had to send this person home because they had asymptomatic COVID. And it's, it's actually, you know, this is the first time that I've seen that in my practice of, you know, just randomly testing a patient who was there for a pacemaker um, and who happened to have COVID that was completely asymptomatic. Hang on a moment, Dr. Molly. Let me let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zorniel. And on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline, talking with Dr. Michael Amali, a cardiologist and WellMed's leader in the COVID-19 task force. Carol? Well, Dr. Amali, you mentioned that people are testing themselves at home. So there's all these rapid tests out there that I, you know, we can buy on Amazon how accurate are they? I keep hearing they're accurate, they're not accurate, my family's yeah. conflicted. What's the status? So Carol, that's a, that's a really difficult question and I could talk about that for probably a couple of hours, but we don't have a couple of hours. So let me give you a, a quick answer. And the quick answer is, is that we cannot rely on what we're reading on social media or popular media for that answer because it's really complicated. The fact of the matter is, is that if we get a good sample at the right time in a home test with you know, an antigen test, that can be quite accurate. But there's so many factors that can play into why we might get a false negative and false negatives do occur. So in reality, um, the test often are not accurate because we are either testing at the wrong time, 
we're obtaining the wrong sample, we're testing too early, we're testing too late. All of those things can factor into making a test less accurate. What I would say and what I'm asked all the time is, are you more likely to get false negatives or false positives? False positives are relatively rare. You know, I mean, they can happen, but they're rare. Um, false negatives are much more common because we are testing people either at the wrong time, too early, too late, or we're performing the test inaccurately. And the fact is, is this is a test that we can do at home and we can do on our kitchen table. And it, you know, it's not requiring large machines to run these samples. And so it, you actually need to have a reasonable amount of virus in your nose, in the front part of your nose, in order to get that test come back positive. And so if you don't scrape your nose well enough or you don't do it at the right time, um, you may get a false negative. That is you know, relatively common. When someone has all the signs and symptoms of COVID and they have a exposure, someone in their house had positive, you know, had a positive test recently and they're now experiencing symptoms, what I tell people is, okay, if you have a negative test, repeat that test again in 24 to 36 hours. Um, and you know, you're going to increase the likelihood of picking it up. You're going to decrease the chance of, of a false uh, negative again. What makes the Omicron uh, so contagious? So, um, you know, Omicron compared to other variants has a number of different mutations and viruses mutate. This is just what they do. Um, this is not weird that the virus that we've known from the very beginning that this virus was going to mutate and, and, and there will be more variants. This is, you know, every time this virus goes into it, you know, infects a human being, that virus replicates just, you know, millions upon millions of times. It replicates over and over again. And every time it replicates, that's an opportunity for a random mutation to occur. And over the, you know, we have, we have 7 billion people in this, on this planet and, and people are getting COVID everywhere. And so just multiple opportunities for the virus to mutate. And some of those mutations, um, most of the mutations are bad, but sometimes the mutations for the virus, when I say bad, I mean for the virus, some of those mutations actually make the virus more successful. And that's what we've seen with Omicron. You know, it becomes more successful. Random chance causes these mutations. That mutation becomes, you know, makes it easier for the virus to, to, to go from one person to another and it starts to propagate. And that's exactly what we've seen with Omicron. It's also what we saw with Delta, right? And so you would expect the next big variant that comes along is gonna have to be able to out-compete Omicron. So chances are it would be more infectious. It's unlikely that Omicron is gonna be our last variant. As you take a look at what's successful for a virus, uh, these are technically not living organisms, are they? No. So a virus is kind of somewhere between being alive and being dead. It's not, you know, there's certain criteria that we look at in biology to, uh, to define life. Um, and the virus has some of those, but not all of those. Um, and so we, it's hard, you know, we don't really talk about dead virus or not dead virus. We, we talk about uh, a virus that can replicate or a virus that's no longer able to replicate. But yes, you're correct, Ron. This is, you know, it's a virus. It's not, it's, it's not a, a, an animal or a plant or you know, even a bacteria. It's, it's different. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernial, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Dr. Michael Amali. Everything you need to know about COVID-19 and a whole lot more. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether 
the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernil, our co-host, and we're talking with Dr. Michael Amali. And Dr. Amali, Carol said to me off the air today, she was so thankful that you were able to untangle what are the CDC guidelines now on COVID-19. Because we are so confused. We are all confused, Dr. Amali, but you don't seem to be. So, what? No, so, so I think it's a misconception, guys, that the CDC made a recent shift. I think that the changes the CDC made recently were an extension, previous uh, guidelines and recommendations. And, and it's not as much of a, of a change in direction as a lot of people think. So let me, let me take your questions about that with that said. Well, so I, mask no. or no mask? Okay, so that's a great question because I think there's a lot of misinformation going around about masking. And, and you know, it's most of, the, most of what I teach people about masking is really just common sense. There's two ways to think about masks. Masks do one of two things. Number one, they provide protection for you from others. That's what we call personal protection. The other things that masks do is masks protect others from you should you be infected. That's called source control. So masks can provide protection for a person and also can provide source control for other people. Does that kind of make sense? So at, at this point, we have multiple different types of masks and those masks may or may not, may or may not be good for either personal protection or source control. But because we often don't talk in terms of the different roles that masks have, and we kind of lump them all in together, it's very easy to hear contradictory statements, and that leads to confusion. And when we see that confusion, people think, oh, the CDC or the experts must not know what they're talking about, but they keep changing their mind. And I don't think that's the case. I just think that we often find that we're trying to summarize more complex issues in just a few sentences. Well, do you recommend upgrading masks? Some people have said cloth masks may not work as well to protect you. you know, yeah. Um, so from- I think cloth masks do a very poor job providing personal protection. So for instance, if, I, if you have COVID and I don't, and you and I are hanging out for hours at a time and I'm wearing a cloth mask, That cloth mask helps me for a short period of time. And at some point in there, the benefit to that cloth mask has kind of gone away. After a certain length of time, I've been exposed to enough potential virus that I haven't really helped myself wearing that cloth mask. And if you really want personal protection from masks, you either need to wear multi-layered masks that are fit properly, surgical masks that have been, that actually give you a really good fit, or something like an N95 respirator. Now, on the other hand, if you have COVID and I don't, and you're wearing the mask, many of our masks do a really good job, and they're not perfect, but they do a really good job at source control. Because most of what is leaving my mouth as I speak or sing or yell or even breathe goes in a forward direction. And and a lot of those little tiny droplets 
will be caught by my mask. And because they're caught by my mask, I'm lowering the number of particles that are gonna wind up going into the air. And it's all just probability and all likelihood. So it eventually, the probability is still gonna go up, but the mask that I'm breathing into is gonna trap a lot of it. And it's going to provide a, provide some degree of protection and a lower probability that I'm gonna to transmit to someone else, regardless of the type of mask. An N95 is probably the best. A surgical mask is really good and a cloth mask is actually for source control for a period of time, pretty good, especially if it's fitting well. It's actually not a bad mask for source control. You say well, fit well, most of us have no idea what that means. Well, yeah, and you can see Dr. Amali actually taught me how to tie the ends so that my masks fit tighter to my face. If you've got that big gap, which I often see walking around with people. Yeah, I mean, number one is when, if I, if I can see the tip of your nose, your mask isn't fitting well. If I see either nostril, your mask is not doing you any good whatsoever. If I see nostril, you might as well not even be wearing the mask. Doesn't help you at all. Help if you. I see, yeah. So it needs to be fully over the nose. It needs to really be pinched over the nose, or there needs to be some sort of elastic strap around that. If it doesn't pinch over the nose, it actually snugly fits your face, so that when you are talking or breathing, you actually can see the mask come, you know, moving as you talk or breathe, which means that some of that airflow is actually, you know, you're, you're kind of sucked. There's a little suction going on and you breathe out and you see the mask puff up just a little bit and you breathe in and you see it kind of collapse a little bit. That's probably a better fitting mask. Well, talk a little bit about quarantine, because I think those are the, the some of the um, new quarantine recommendations, maybe what's confusing people. Um, are they for yeah. healthcare professionals? Are they for everybody? Right. So that is also a very difficult topic to sum up in just a couple of sentences. And the reason why is because, for, so first of all, the healthcare professional um, changes um, were complex because they have acknowledged the fact that our healthcare system right now is being pushed in many ways beyond our capacity. Because remember, our healthcare workers have lives outside of work and they're getting sick too and they're at home in isolation. And so we're understaffed and we are not able to, um, you know, we're not, we're, we're not at full strength. Um, and so often we have to, we still have to take care of our patients. So sometimes we have to bend the rules a little bit to make sure everyone's taken care of. If my entire healthcare team is at home in isolation, no one's around to take care of sick people. So if everyone's healthy, we can get really strict about quarantining and isolating. But if everybody's sick, at some point, we have to let some of those people go back and take care of the really critically ill patients. And so that's kind of where we are right now. The CDC has come up with these three different categories of the healthcare system, um, either a conventional or a critical, and in between that is kind of contingent, kind of the middle ground. And that determines what we as an healthcare organization will do um, if we are exposed or if we're infected. For the general public, it's much simpler, right? We don't have all these different categories. And for the general public, what the CDC has now come out and said is that if you have COVID-19 and you have really minimal symptoms, you don't have a fever and you're feeling either or you're completely asymptomatic and you're feeling much, much better that you may enter into the real world. You may have come out of your isolation at day six as long as you do a really good job with your masking, again, providing source control to the people around you. And the reason why is because at day six, the mi a minority, but a significant number of individuals still potentially could pass on that virus. Now, we know 
we have a population that is vaccinated and 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 we're getting toward a population that is boosted we're not all the way there yet but we do have a lot of people boosted and so we've got protection from you know those people that may be coming out a little bit early and with masking and with our better treatment options we have right now it's probably much safer at this point in the pandemic to come out of isolation early as it was compared to how it was a year ago now some of what i heard the cdc say maybe a disincentive to get tested if you were positive but asymptomatic and you come out after six days uh, but you go ahead and test yourself and turn up positive then you have to stay in for another 10 days is that not a disincentive for getting tested so the cdc says if you have it basically their language is very loose they say if you have a test available and you wish to use it you can use it but they don't tell you that you absolutely need to retest right and you know the entire pandemic we have generally not recommended a testing based approach to coming out of isolation because a lot of these tests can remain positive and that doesn't always tell you whether or not someone is infectious um i think it is reasonable if you choose to take a test at day six or day seven and you're ready to come out of isolation especially if you're around people that are vulnerable right they couldn't be vaccinated or they're immunocompromised or they refuse to be vaccinated or they're really elderly and maybe they didn't generate the same immune response for that vaccination that would be a time that i would consider testing but in most in most cases i think it is reasonable to come out of isolation at day six or day seven if you choose to do so and not necessarily test if you don't have a fever and you don't have any more symptoms. All right, Dr. Molly, I've got a couple of lightning round questions for you. Yes, ma'am. Someone right before the show sent me a text saying, Deltacron, it's the new, it's new, it's out there. Is there such a thing as Deltacron? Well, what I would suggest that that implies is that it's either a combination of mutations seen with both Delta and Omicron, or it's co-infection with two separate viruses. You know, if it's co-infection with Omicron and Delta, that doesn't really concern me at all, right? I mean, Omicron and Delta are two variants of a very, you know, they're very similar variants of the same virus. And it's not like these are two different supervillains that are that are acting in very different ways. You know, if your body's fighting one, it's going to fight the other. That doesn't concern me. If it's a new variant, it's a weird name, right? We're supposed to name them after these Greek letters. And so I would be surprised if they are actually naming a variant Deltacron. I think that's kind of you hear about flu rona yeah it (laughs) it probably is and what i would say to people is you know as these variants come up again we're going to have more variants it's going to happen i get asked about that you know i heard that there was this variant in the uk i heard that this variant in california and i tell people don't you know the world health organization and the cdc will let us know way in advance if first they have to be variants of interest then they're variants of concern. And that's when we should be concerned about them. But let's not be concerned about anything other than the 99% of all cases right now, which are Omicron. That's where our concern should be. All right. And so the other question that goes around right now is, should I just go out and get it? It's milder. I've never had it. Maybe I should just go out like the measles and go get the Omicron variant. Yeah. So the answer to that is that would be silly, right? I mean, it's still playing slight Russian roulette. And why would you ever do that if you didn't have to? Everyone within the sound of my voice should be fully vaccinated. If you are eligible for a booster five months after completing your primary vaccination series with a two-shot mRNA vaccine from either Moderna or Pfizer, you should get a booster. And two months after getting a J&J shot, you should get a booster. If you have boosted yourself, 
and you're acting responsibly, you can do many of the things that you were doing previously. Now, we're in this huge Omicron surge right now. So now is not the best time this right now, this month, to go to, into a crowded theater where nobody's masking, especially with you know community spread the way it is. Uh, and so I would say, you know, we're going to see this, this Omicron surge die off in a matter of weeks. It's not going to be months. Look at the slope of the curve. It's really, really steep going up. It's going to be steep going down. And, you know, in a, several weeks, we're going to be in a very different period than where we are right now. But I would never say to someone, just go out and get it. It doesn't make any sense. Do what you can to get infected. Balance safety with having to live your life get vaccinated and believe in the vaccination process. If you get COVID, you know, you did what you could to not get it. We're going to try to keep you healthy with medications and with monoclonal antibodies if we can. But, you know, you protected yourself with this booster shot and feel confident that you protected yourself with this booster. That's the whole point of, of vaccination and boosting is to protect Gotta stop you right there. Dr. Molly, we are flat out of time. Carol Zerniel, thank you. On behalf of Carol and Dr. Michael Amali, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today, learning all about COVID-19 on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.